All right, join me in your Bibles, the book of 1 Kings chapter 19 tonight, in your Bible, the Old Testament, the book of 1 Kings, and we continue our Overwhelmed series. I wonder, is there anybody here ever been overwhelmed? I remember one time years ago, many, many years ago, I was pastor of a church up in Fort Worth, and uh, the church was growing. I took the church with I think there's 51 there. Uh, when I preached the first morning, there was three men in the congregation. I preached, and all of them but one left. And uh, and I finally got it down to I could handle it. And in uh, just a short time, it was the fastest growing church in the state of Texas. Uh, we baptized 300 folks the first six months of the ministry. I mean, when with soul winning, buses, so is building. And I'd already built two building programs and issued bonds, and, and I printed the bonds myself <laughs> and, uh, and uh, wrote to prospectus myself and okayed it with a SEC myself. And so I, we'd already done two bond issues, and they were good, and we were paying them. So I thought since we was going to uh, go $300,000 in debt, I would hire the best bond company in the country at that time. And we did. And uh, they wrote a contract to guarantee constructual needs. That meant they would sell the bonds, make sure the money was in-house as the contracts needed to be paid. Well, I thought it's time for me to take a vacation. I went down to... Uh, Marble Falls, we were out on an island. Nobody in the world knew where we were. I thought even God would have to call information to find where we were. And I noticed a boat coming across the water. One person in the boat. He pulled up to the dock and said, is Pastor Wolfenbarger here? I said, I'm he. He said, you need to call your office now. I called the office and my secretary said, preacher, the bank has locked up every account we've got. That $46,000 check the bond company wrote us bounced. The $8,000 check bounced. The $16,000 check bounced. And they locked up all of our accounts. We couldn't pay anybody anything. I thought my world had crashed. And the next day I found out it just was not a thought. It had crashed. Have you ever been overwhelmed? Running 600 in Sunday school in under a bus, I was pulling the transmission out of the bus myself. And suddenly, without any, without any warning, I just began to weep. And I wept, and I could not stop weeping. I went to the office, and my wife ran everybody out of the office. I could not stop weeping. I had a physical breakdown. Have you ever been overwhelmed? If you haven't, Get ready. 
with our government. Ain't no telling what's going to happen. Amen. You say, preacher, you ought not tell on yourself. I'm not ashamed of being human. If you've had six teenagers, you have been overwhelmed several times. <laughs> I remember Gene Jr. called me one night since I, while I was passing his church. He said, Daddy, could you come and bring cash? Enough said. (laughs) Have you ever been overwhelmed? Let me read you something, would you please? One of the greatest servants, one of the greatest prophets, one of the greatest, most powerful men in all the Old Testament. And he has just witnessed a high time in his life. He, with God's help, has confronted 850 false prophets and single-handedly has embarrassed them and has prayed some 60-word prayer and fire came from heaven and licked up the sacrifice, licked up the dust, licked up the water, licked up the altar and the whole smear. He's commanded that all 850 false prophets be slain. He has run 16 miles and outrun a chariot with two horses. And in verse 1 of chapter 19, And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. Now I believe in openness in the family to a certain extent. But Ahab was not king, Jezebel was king. Ahab was not running the show, Jezebel was running the show. When Ahab pouted because he could not get the vineyard, Jezebel, the one that connived and stole and murdered, and so she is the problem. And, uh, and with all how he had slain all the prophets with the sword... And Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not his life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. In other words, she said, Tell Elijah he got 24 hours. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life, And came to Beersheba, a hundred and twenty miles south, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. Notice, left his servant there, his ever attendant servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. And he required for himself that he might die and said, it is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. Discouragement and sometimes depression are a normal part of many of our lives. We don't like to admit it. We don't like to admit that we are human. And even God's anointed Chosen ones in the word of God. Some of the greatest leaders in all the Bible. 
got discouraged and depressed at some times. And I tell you, discouragement and depression will overwhelm anybody to the extent that they just do not know which direction in which to go. Someone might ask, what's the difference between discouragement and depression? Discouragement is usually a milder, more temporary uh, mood swing than is more aggressive than the depression is more aggressive than discouragement. I get discouraged many times when I go out to eat. And I pay all that money for tasteless food. Remind me of my jail ministry. And I got home and I asked my mama, I said, can anybody mess up food any quicker than the jail? She said, honey, did you put any salt or pepper on it? I said, Lord, no, you always do that. You think about a Christian psychologist that I read quite a bit, Dr. Gary Collins writes that depression may be as mild as a passing period of sadness that follows a personal disappointment. Just in a physical sense, depression can range from a runny nose to pneumonia. And it's something we are not to take lightly. And in its severe forms, it can overwhelm us to the extent that we have feelings of despair. That's where Elijah is. Feelings of despair. Fear running from a woman by the name of Jezebel. I'm sure Elijah could whoop Jezebel. Surely could slip up on her blind side and hit her to the back of the head. (laughs) I'm just playing with you, you know that. But depression, it comes about because of fear and a feeling of anxiety and a feeling of of, uh, exhaustion and And uh, if you've ever noticed someone who's depressed or overwhelmed, uh, there is an immobilizing apathy about them. Uh, They just just think they're going to sit there and everything is going to just get worse. And it usually does. And they become apathetic and uh, hopeless and uh, enter desperation. An overwhelming sense of despair. That's where Elijah is. He's exhausted. He's afraid of Jezebel. He has the apathy. It has immobilized him. He's hopeless. And he says, dear God, I just kill me. Well, if he wanted to die, why didn't he do it himself? He just was at the end of it. He's burnt out. He's fatigued. Have you ever been that way? Amen. You see, a lot of folk will not admit it. You know, I read one time that, wherefore let him that thinketh he stand take heed lest he what? Fall. Fall. Oh, yes, Elijah chose the juniper tree to sit under and to talk to the juniper tree. 
and tell the juniper tree about his discouragements. And, uh, and uh, he had sense enough to leave his servant behind because he knew the servant tell him, get up and get on with it. Isn't it amazing how that when you get discouraged, you want to be by yourself. You know, Jeremiah wished for the wilderness, wished for a wilderness where no human could hear his complaint and mortal eye could witness his spiritual despondency. Jeremiah, the great prophet in the Old Testament, said, oh, if I could be wished away to the wilderness, then I could have my nervous breakdown all by myself. Jonah went clear outside the city and found a place where he could sit down under the gourd and express his disapproval of God and his disappointment in God and man. He didn't want to see the revival. God did what God was going to do. He didn't like what he did. So Jonah got upset, went outside the city and acted like a Baptist. David wished for the wings of a dove. That his spiritual discouragement and disillusionment could not be seen, but he could take it off into the wilderness someplace and fly off all by himself so that nobody could see him in his pitiful state. I wonder how many of us here tonight can say amen to that. Could I please speak with you just a minute and ask you why did Elijah sink so deeply? I'm going to get to the outline. But why did Elijah sink so deeply in the valley of despondency after he had witnessed the most spiritual high of his entire life? Think of that now. Spiritual high one day, the valley the next day. Shouting victory and slaying God's enemies one day and running from Jezebel the next day. Sunday. Have a great service. God blesses and everybody goes home happy and come to church on Wednesday night and look like the cowboys lost. <laughs> if you're happy about being saved, you need to let your face know it. Because it hasn't got the news yet. Come on now. What happened to Elijah? The most, the most stirring revival in Elijah's life. I don't know about you, but buddy, if I'd have been there and I'd prayed 60 word prayer and the fire of God fall, I guarantee I'd have had a running spell. I'd have still been shouting, wouldn't you? Not Elijah. Shouting one day. Running from old slew foot to next. Why? Let me ask you. Let me answer. Maybe it's a twofold, and I'd like to give you. I'm just suggesting this may not be true. I, I just suggesting this. Maybe, maybe the first reason for his reaction may be the classic mountaintop experience. If you have a spiritual high. There ain't no place to go except. Have you ever thumped to that? I mean, he was as high as he could go. He had had a mountaintop experience. God had blessed. 
God had done everything that God said he would do. And Elijah has witnessed it. But bang, when you're on top of the mountain, there's not but one way left. And that's down. You say, preacher, you don't know what you're talking about. After graduation from high school or college, the fear hits. Now what? Now what? I had that. I had that hit me. In 1957, me and Noah graduated from Phineas Bannon High School in California. You know, Noah, joke, laugh. <laughs> Long time ago. <laughs> but I shall never forget when I graduated from high school, that kept, that kept reverberating in my mind. Now what? Now what? I no longer have to get up. I no longer have to go to school. I no longer have to. I'm not regimented anymore. I can't. I, I, what now? I don't know about this, but you might ask yourself, after the birth of a child, there's often a letdown, a postpartum depression, they say. I always had that when my wife said we was having one. Amen. I think it's better when they're a surprise. <laughs> so how many of them did you want? None. But I love them all. And I don't know about you, but bless your heart. I don't know why. You know, sometimes uh, you get married. <laughs> And the honeymoon's over. And all of a sudden reality sets in. And said, what have I done? Take liberty out of the dictionary. Freedom, tear that page out. Do what you want to do. Done! Are we having fun? Elijah, he might have just got married. I'm just saying, I I don't know. But uh, you move into a new house and the feeling... Is this it? Hey, hey, sometimes after the highs, after the mountaintop, sometimes these things set in and bang, they hit you. I don't know about Elijah, but you know, he might just have hit that mountaintop experience and wham, he hit the bottom again. And perhaps that's what happened to Elijah. Even after baptism, Satan comes to us and says, well, why did you have to do that? The devil makes every service. At Joshua Baptist Church. He makes sure he's at every service. And he makes sure when you walk out of this church. After you've had a good day. He'll make sure that he'll put some questions and doubt in your heart. Before you get out of the parking lot. He did it to Elijah. He'll do it to us. Second possible reason. I'm not sure why Elijah's like this. But the second possible reason Uh, For his overwhelmed, depressed state was the proverbial straw that broke the camel's back syndrome. Have you ever heard that saying? That's just a straw that broke the camel's back. Have you ever heard that? Well, I don't know anything about that. I don't have any camels. But Elijah had successfully faced the king. He had successfully faced uh, uh, the, 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 the henchman of, of Satan. He had 
prayed down fire. He had personally slew the sacrifice, personally prepared sacrifice, personally replaced the altar, personally laid the altar, I mean the sacrifice in place, personally prayed. He's tired. He's tired. Just how tired do you have to get before the last straw? How much sleep do you have to lose? How many schedules do you have to keep? How much do you have to perform on your job? I don't know. But maybe after doing all of that and running 16 miles, walking 120 miles, and then going another day's journey into the wilderness, and then walking 250 miles in 40 days and 40 nights, there might be a slight possibility that Elijah is tired. If you think you can burn and start both ends without it coming to the middle, you fell out of your tree. We got more machines and less time ever in the history of mankind. We got automatic this and automatic that and automatic this and automatic that. And I'll bet you five dollars, half of us don't think we're going to get it all done today. And we got to run home and do it all and get it all done. If we don't get it all done, you know what? To me, it'll just be there for tomorrow. Sometimes it takes our strength to handle the big problems. And it's always that little bitty one. We wrestle with the kids. We wrestle with the boss. We just don't know what in the world we're going to do. We lose our job. They lay us off. The government goes on strike. Everything's cool. And then we have a flat tire. Or the dishwasher blows up. Or at 105 degrees, the air conditioner quits working. And my friend is out of town. Going to a anniversary. <laughs> it may not be the big things that's breaking your back. It may be the big thing. And then the little thing stacked on top. A flat tire. A transmission that went out. A word unkindly spoken by your mate. The dog forgets to go outside. (laughs) The sucker should have been outside all the time. But it's the big problems that drains us. But it's the little problems stacked on top of the big problems that send us into the depressed, despondent, overwhelmed. I can tell when my wife is overwhelmed. That's when I go hunting. (laughs) And she's still overwhelmed when I come back home. She can tell when I'm overwhelmed. That's when she says, now sit down and act like you're supposed to. Is there anybody here tonight? 
Elijah's experience is a perfect case study in the basic causes of what causes depression and despondency, discouragement, and the feeling of being overwhelmed. When the government shut down, we have a lot of folk working for the government. It's a strange thing to me that the president and the Congress is still getting paid. Mm-hmm. My wife is scared to death that the food administration is not going to catch all the chicken. And we're going to die of salmonella. So, we're eating veggies at home. And if I want her to know this, I'll tell her myself. We have men in our church that has to work, but the government will not pay them while they work. And I would not trust our government to pay me retroactive back for working. But that has nothing to do with Elijah. So let's you and I take a look just a minute at the grace of our Lord. Notice this. I got, I got about 10 minutes. Look at verse number 5. And after Elijah had come to absolute, overwhelmed, despondent, discouraged, I want to die, state in his life. And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. Did you know that God is not out of angels? And that is not the only angel that has been sent from heaven because the angels are ministering spirits to the heirs of salvation. You have got a guardian angel tonight that loves you and watches over you. And all this luck that you're having, forget it. Just flat, flat, forget it. I used, I've looked back over my little old crazy mixed up life. And I said, boy, I sure am lucky that I didn't get killed before God called me to preach. Luck had nothing to do with it. Luck had nothing to do with it. And them old cars that we used to go down them crooked roads in Tennessee running from, uh, uh, I mean, just driving. And uh, it's a wonder, honest. Two or three of us was in a 54 automobile going about 80, 90 miles an hour around a crooked road. And I started to make the turn, and my steering box dropped plumb out of the car. We were headed for a large rock at death speed. Hit the brake, the right wheel grabbed, pulled us around the corner. What luck. What luck. providence of God. I've been keeping that angel busy all these many years. And now he's getting a rest because I'll never get out much anymore. 
Huh? Listen to me now. Watch this. Watch this. Watch this. And an angel, an angel touched him. And he looked and behold, there was a cake bacon on the coals and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink and laid him down and laid, down, laid him down again. The angel of the Lord come again the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat because the journey is too great for thee. He arose and did eat and drank and went in the strength of that meat forty days and forty nights unto Oreb, the mount of God. In that discouraged state, listening to God, he wound up at the same place Moses did when he looked at the burning bush and God told Moses, take off your shoes. The place you're standing is holy ground. And we explained last week that that was Jesus, a theophany. That is a pre-appearance, pre-existent appearance of Jesus Christ. And in the Old Testament, he showed up for Moses and now he showed up for Elijah. Notice I gave you these points last week. Notice the angel touched him. Jesus touched him. It was a touch of intervention, divine intervention. I believe if you look back in your life and you're one of God's children, if you look back, you may call it luck, you may call it breaks, you may call it providence, whatever you want to. But all during your life, there's been divine intervention in your life. Now, whether you accepted it or not, whether you obeyed it or not, whether you appreciated it or not, here Elijah is at the lowest state of his life. And God intervenes and there is divine intervention. Notice it is a distinct intervention. It's personal. It's pointed. Elijah, wake up. That is your cake. Angel food cake. That's scriptural, man. That's really not like it. Angel food cake. Fluffy. Woo-woo. A few strawberries. Put a little sin on it. Wow. <laughs> Some of that calf slobber on the top. Yes, sir. Let's go. I'm hungry. It was appointed. It was appointed, if you please, an intervention. God had something in mind for Elijah. It was a, it was a, a developing intervention. Uh, if God saved you, you are in the developing mode right tonight. Listen to me. This church will do everything financially and humanly possible to develop you for the cause of Christ. We will do everything to develop your child. Not brainwash them. Develop them as champions for Christ in this place. From the Sunday school to the Christian school to the biblical studies that we have in the seminary and on and on and on. But I want you to know, God had a plan for Elijah. And it was a, 
intervention. I was on my way to hell one time years ago, had my own business working, and just seemed like when everything started going right, somebody intervened on a Thursday night in my living room. When that preacher asked me if I died tonight, do I know for sure I'd go to heaven? And I said, no. And I bowed that night and I gave, gave the Lord my life and I invited him in my heart and I was saved. There was a divine intervention that night. A lot of the old things passed away. Behold, all things become new. The places I used to go wasn't attractive to me anymore. Things I used to do, I did not want to do them anymore. Nobody preached about it. I just knew I shouldn't be doing it. Divine intervention. Has God intervened in your life? Thank God there's a divine intervention. Notice when he was discouraged and despondent, there is a touch of inspiration. When you're feeling so low, you can sit on the curb and wag both feet and neither one of them touch the street. You need to be inspired. Right? Amen. All right? And once in a while, my wife needs to be inspired. I walk in there with a whip. Wow! Once I would do that. And that'd be the last time I'd do that. Hey, everybody I know tonight at time, times need inspiring. Our children need to be inspired at times. Uh, they don't need to be whooped and beat and, and abused. Uh, they need to be inspired. Now, sometimes they need to be corrected, but they need to be inspired. Every Christian I know needs to be inspired. And Elijah is as low as anybody could get. And notice an inspiring visit. God didn't send Gabriel. You know who he sent? He sent Jesus. An inspiring visit. It's kind of like those three Hebrew children in the fiery furnace. <laughs> what do you think those guys thought? When all of a sudden, when they threw them in the fire, they found somebody else in there with them. And my Bible said in the fourth has the image of the Son of God. Uh, don't take that away from me. Don't tell me that's one of the son of the little G-O-D-S. No, sir. The same one that met with Elijah, the same one that met with Moses, is the same one who met in an aspiring situation in the fire furnace. The king come yelling early in the morning, Daniel, oh Daniel, is thy God able to deliver thee? And Daniel cries, the Lord sent an angel and gave the lion's lockjaw. That, that, that can inspire me. Amen. Oh, yes. It was an inspiring. It was an inspiring voice. Notice the verse says, and he said. Have you ever heard the Lord's voice? He speaks through this living word here. He'll tell us what's right and what's wrong. Billy said tonight, I shouldn't tell this on Billy. He's getting a little backslid running around me and Jim every day. 
He said, preacher, would you show me that verse where it says thou shalt not have a Facebook page? <laughs> an inspiring voice. Notice an inspiring view. If you're hungry and you're thirsty and you smell a hamburger cooking, does that inspire you? Well, I was tricked tonight. I went to the house and man had something. Well, she's not in here. And I'm not on Facebook, so I'm not. A man that knows almost catching aromas all through the house. I said, man, there's going to be meat for dinner tonight. And I went in there and sat on a chair and I said, what's going on? She said, I'm uh, cooking these bones because I want the broth. I'm going to can it. I threw an egg and hit her right in the back of the head. You know, if I'm starving and I'm hungry and Elijah's starving, he's hungry and he's tired and he's exhausted. Uh, can you imagine the voice of Jesus waking him up and said, say, are you hungry? An inspiring view. He looked angel food gate. Catfish on top, that's right. (laughs) You know what? When you're low and when you've been overwhelmed, if you'll let him, keep your mouth shut a while. Don't develop hoof and mouth disease. He's not run out of touches. And you don't have to come to church to get inspired. You can get inspired And want to come to church. Amen. Uh, It was a touch. Of inspiration. Can I close now? It's it's quick. I'm going to be done by. In a little while. (laughs) A touch of instruction. A touch of instruction. Notice. Now. Elijah. You wouldn't think so. But since he's been at the brook and seen God's provision, and since he's seen the brook dry up, and he's seen what a widow can do with God's help, and he's witnessed the power of God to raise the widow's son, he's witnessed fire falling from heaven. And he's been broken. Now. He's a prepared candidate. God don't use anybody. That God has not broken first. God don't use people. Who's been living on the mountain all their life. God dwells in a broken And a contrite spirit. Now. He's not only inspired. 
Now, he's a prepared candidate. Instructed. You see what I mean? Instructed. Why do you think we have discipleship and we have people, as I speak tonight, all over the church, one-on-one in a discipleship class? We're preparing champions for Christ. We're going to need several teachers and helpers when we open these new wings. There's new classrooms. Uh, We're not just going to be comfortable with six buses. We ain't even going to be comfortable with ten. You say, what you going to do? We're going to win people to Christ till Jesus comes. And you say, well, what if we do when we're out of room? We'll sell some more bonds. We'll build some more buildings. You're 74. How long was Noah when he built that boat? Hey, man, buddy. Now he's a prepared candidate. Now he has a precious commandment. Notice this. You need to eat because you've got a 40-day journey ahead of you. You need to eat. Arise and eat. Because you're going to need the meat. You're going to need that for the journey. That's what he said. Isn't that what he said? He said, arise and eat. Because I got some place I want you to go. And you need some vittles for the road. (laughs) And I ain't got no Yeti cooler for you. Huh? Wow. Amen. A prepared candidate. Notice that if you would please. A precious command. You know, I thought in 1977 that the only thing left for me was evangelism. Because of situations in my life and my family. I knew God called me to preach. And my call to preach was the greatest thing in my life other than me being saved. And I thought the only thing I could do now to serve God was evangelism. And I went. I resigned to church and and went into evangelism. When I left Tennessee for the first meeting, I had one meeting. And I left and I preached one time in Alabama and got 11 meetings. And I preached 200 meetings the first four years. And all that time, I thought I'd never get the opportunity to build people for Christ. And to love people for Christ. And to win people to Christ. I just never thought that would happen. But after being broke and broke and broke. See, I did that without a credit card. Man, I'd get, I'd get to churches. And I wouldn't have enough money to buy a meal. Let alone get to the next church. And I lived for three months. Not one week at a time. I preached for three months. And then go home. 
Boy, I'm glad I'm a pastor. And I'm glad there was a recommissioning of the Lord in my life. And I'm glad that our God changed my heart to a pastor's heart again. Elijah is now a prepared servant with a precious command. Is there anybody here tonight? A famous doctor once was asked, what would you advise a person to do if that person felt that a nervous breakdown was coming on? Everybody thought, well, he'd tell the person what you need to do is to go and get a psychologist or a psychiatrist real quick. And he replied, if you feel like a nervous breakdown is coming on, lock up your house Go and find somebody in need and help that person to overcome discouragement. Don't focus on yourself. Get involved in the lives of other people. As I close now, I want you to notice how God dealt with Elijah's discouragement. He doesn't call it sin. He doesn't preach at Elijah. If you're discouraged, you're despondent, you're overwhelmed, preaching is not what you need. You don't need somebody cleaning your clock. He doesn't make Elijah even feel guilty. Read the text. See if he ever makes Elijah feel guilty. Not one time. He graciously watches over Elijah for six weeks. That sucker must have been tired and sleepy if he slept that long. Amen. He lets him get some good rest. God has built this body in such a way. If you'll get away, this thing will heal itself. This body is a healer. It will heal itself. God built it that way. He says, get some good food and drink. I don't think he would have stopped off at McDonald's. As nutritious as a number two is. Especially when you biggie that booger. (laughs) And he says to Elijah, get into my presence. Because the closer you get to me, God says, the farther away from yourself you'll get. Good, Good deal. He says, get to know me better. I can handle Jezebel. I can handle her. He says, get involved in my work again. By the way, that's what Jesus, centuries later, Told a discouraged Peter. Did you know that? Old Peter got discouraged and went back to his old life. You remember that? Amen. I'm going to fishing. You remember that? Amen. Guess where Jesus found him? At the seaside. Guess what Jesus did? Cooked him a meal. And says, now, Peter, who do men say that I am? 
He said, feed my sheep. 